Hello, I'm Jameis. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Welcome, welcome to episode 31 of Your New Favorite Word. Thanks for joining us today. Jameis, what do you have to share with us for today's episode? Okay, so last week I bid farewell to my co-workers as I move now to a new position at a different company. One of my now former co-workers is from Turkey, and knowing that I do this podcast, she encouraged me to look at the word yogurt, which has Turkish roots. Now the word in Turkish is also spelled with a G, like in English, but apparently G in Turkish has a very different sound. More like the English W, I guess. Hmm. So it's more like yogurt. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, me neither. But in this sense, I guess the French word for yogurt, which is yogurt, hmm. is very similar in that pronunciation, I guess. So I don't know which one is closer to actual Turkish pronunciation. I should have had her pronounce it for me. But per Edom Online, the root of the word in Turkish, the Y-O-G, means to condense. Hmm. And I guess that means we can think of yogurt as a kind of condensed milk. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The same root is also found in the Turkish words for intense, liquefy, and knead, as in to knead bread. Fascinating. Condensing things. It is interesting. It kind of gives me a new perspective on those concepts. Mm-hmm. It's one of the lovely things about learning a new language is Absolutely. finding the, the overlaps of the concepts and how they relate. I agree. So that was cool. But then I started wondering what other words in English are from Turkish origins? Most of the English language is derived either from Germanic or Latin, but English being what it is, it really has (laughs) borrowed from all over. So I went looking, and no one should be surprised to learn that Wikipedia has a page titled List of English Words of Turkic Origin. (laughs) Now, it should be mentioned that Turkic does not mean Turkish. Turkic refers to a family of related language, including Turkish, but also Azerbaijani, Kazakh, and Kyrgyz. In fact, Wikipedia says there are 35 languages currently in use that may be considered Turkic. So this is a list of words of Turkic origin. Okay. But among them, a lot of them are Turkish, because Turkish is probably one of the most widely spoken Turkic languages. I was going to say, there's probably a larger population that speaks that than some of the others. Yeah, I think so. Just a guess. Yeah, that's my guess, too. I didn't actually confirm that, but... And most of the words on the list were unusual, not surprising. Most of them I'd never heard of before. Many of them are borrowed into English to describe Turkish cultural concepts, uh, like titles of rulers or kinds of food. Hmm. But there were many words that I recognized. For instance, you might not be too terribly surprised to learn that shish kebab (laughs) comes from Turkish words meaning skewer. And roasted meat. (laughs) Fascinating. Shish kebab. That sounds delicious. (laughs) It does sound really good right now, doesn't it? (laughs) But did you know that pilaf is also from a Turkish word? Like rice pilaf. Exactly. No, I didn't. And pastrami (laughs) is probably also from a Turkish root meaning to press, because it's like a pressed meat. Fascinating. I always think of that as Italian. Pastrami. (laughs) I know. Same. You do that very well. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I was born in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) The word coffee, too, comes Mm. from Turkish though the Turkish word is itself borrowed from Arabic. So okay. ultimately, it's an Arabic word. But That reminds me of that song, you know, about all I want is a proper cup of coffee. It has something about... Oh, that's right, the, the Sultan Turkish sat. Word, yeah. And the name of the bergamot 
which is a kind of, of uh, bitter orange, which yields a useful oil, bergamot oil. Also comes from a Turkish phrase meaning the prince's pear, or perhaps <laughs> the prince of pears. Oh, okay. <laughs> the bergamot. And if I were to tell you to talk to my fez-topped lackey on the sofa by the kiosk, <laughs> I'd have just tossed four more Turkishisms your way. <laughs> sofa, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. A fez... That one makes a lot of sense. It's a kind of tasseled hat. The name actually comes from the name of a place in Morocco, but okay. we get the word through Turkish. Huh. And lackey is possibly from a Turkish word meaning runner or courier. Sofa is another word that we got from Turkish, but which ultimately came from Arabic, and it meant a bench of stone or wood. And kiosk is from a Turkish word meaning pavilion or summer house. <laughs> <laughs> That's very different than we use A little it now. different, yeah. yeah. You find it in the kiosk. <laughs> but probably the one that surprised me most was the name of the card game Bridge. Oh. Though it's not certain where the word ultimately comes from, it was originally referred to as Birich. B-I-R-I-T-C-H. Okay. Birich. Which someone thought sounded like bridge, I'm sure. Exactly, yeah. When it got to England, that's how it was changed. But it was called Birich among the Russian community in Istanbul, (laughs) where it was created. It's a descendant of the older game Whist, which if you're a fan of period dramas at all, you've (laughs) seen people playing Whist. And it was sometimes even called Russian Whist. Hearts, Mr. Collins, hearts. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) One theory for the origin of the word birich is that it comes from the Turkish words for one and three. Hmm. Because apparently in the game bridge, one hand is exposed and three are concealed. Interesting. So There's other theories too, like it comes from a a Russian word referring to a clerk or something or a diplomat. Hmm. But the, the Turkish definition the turkish link is the one that's relevant here i mean i won't draw this out any further suffice to say that i was pleasantly surprised by how many turkish words have found their way into everyday english vocabulary yeah that's a cool discovery yeah it really kind of surprised me if you want to look further you can check out the words bosh as in nonsense (laughs) horde like a horde of ants yurt and possibly even quiver like a quiver of Mm. arrows Also, fans of the Chronicles of Narnia will be interested to know that the word for lion in Turkish is Aslan. Oh, (laughs) love it. So that's what I had. How about you, Tessa? What have you got for us? Well, recently, my younger kids and I have been reading and studying different poets. And we've been memorizing some of their poems. And one of the poets we came across was Carl Sandburg. And... We have a series of poetry for young people, which I highly recommend. It's so fun to read through those poems. They're beautifully illustrated. And this poem that I memorized was called Fizog. P-H-I-Z-Z-O-G. <laughs> Fizog. Yes, a poem by Carl Sandburg. So I looked at the word Fizog, and it's spelled this way. It wasn't found in any of the usual dictionaries that I use. But uh, it can be spelled in many different ways. So it showed up as F-I-Z-Z-O-G, P-H-I-S-O-G, P-H-Y-S-O-G, and my favorite, P-H-Y-Z-O-G, Fizog. <laughs> <laughs> However, you can put those letters together to make those sounds, right? And then a variation, Fizz, just P-H-I-Z, and Physiog, P-H-Y-S-I-O-G, which gives us a clue as to its origin. 
It's a colloquial, humorous shortening of the word physiognomy. Okay, I wondered. Yeah. And I've heard that word used to describe a person's appearance, their countenance, their aspect, right? Their facial features. Some examples that show up in the OED from 1865. Glad to behold your distinguished physiog. 1829. A certain melancholy cast was taking possession of Tom's physog. Or in 1687, oh, had you then this figure seen with what a rueful fizz and mean? <laughs> so some of the different variants there. <laughs> That's great. So physiognomy is a word that we use now to mean facial features, countenance, or aspect. But it originally came into English from Old French, from Latin, and originally from Greek. And the parts of this word are physio, meaning nature or physical, and nomon, G-N-O-M-O-N, meaning a judge or interpreter or indicator. And it referred to the judging of a person's nature by his features. Oh, interesting. So the idea was that we could look at someone's face and decide what their personality was, what their tendencies were, what their future choices might be. So this kind of idea that you could read everything in a person's face, which is kind of an interesting idea. (laughs) So the poem itself by Carl Sandburg, I'm going to read for you. It's quite fun. This face you got, this here fazog you carry around, you never picked it out for yourself at all at all, did you? This here fazog, somebody handed it to you, am I right? Somebody said, here's yours, now go see what you can do with it. Somebody slipped it to you, and it was like a package marked, no goods exchanged after being taken away, this face you got. (laughs) (laughs) So this is kind of counter to the idea that your face kind of determines who you are, right? When this poem has the idea that you're just given this face, now you go see what you can do with it. And I I love the sentiment of that poem. Yeah, that's really a, a neat spin. I love it. Yeah. But historically, this idea of physiognomy or judging a person by their facial features was actually a pseudoscience, kind of along the lines of phrenology, which was, you know, feeling the bumps and the shape of a person's skull and determining what their brain was like inside. And Mm -hmm. that extended to knowing what kind of a person they were. And palm reading, right, where the lines on your palm can predict your future or tell what's fated for you. That's kind of weird, don't you think? (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) If you listen to our episode last week, you'll get that. But this was a fascinating thing. I found an article, which I will link in the show notes, about this idea of physiognomy. It says, When Charles Darwin applied to be the energetic young man that Robert Fitzroy, the Beagle's captain, sought as his gentleman companion, he was almost let down by a woeful shortcoming that was as plain as the nose on his face. Fitzroy believed in physiognomy, the idea that you can tell a person's character from their appearance. As Darwin's daughter Henrietta later recalled, Fitzroy had made up his mind that no man with such a nose could have energy. (laughs) Fortunately, the rest of Darwin's visage compensated for his sluggardly proboscis. His brow saved him. (laughs) So, history might have unfolded very differently if... Darwin's brow had been different. (laughs) Thank goodness for Darwin's brow, I guess. (laughs) So interesting. But so there is this idea in social psychology that whether we 
recognize it or not, we do make judgments about people based upon their appearance. And this is a fact from that same article. Within a tenth of a second of seeing an unfamiliar face, we have already made a judgment about its owner's character. Caring, trustworthy, aggressive, extrovert, competent, and so on. And once that snap judgment has formed, it is surprisingly hard to budge. That's interesting. Yeah. So the question is, is this a real thing? We might not realize we're doing it, but somewhere deep within our psyche, we think we know what someone's going to be like based on what they look like. And this can actually be a source of racism, for example, Mm -hmm. some very negative things. And whether we believe we should judge people based on their appearance, we very often do. But some recent studies have shown that there could be some kind of kernel of truth in this idea that a person's face has something to do, has, is related in some way to their personality. Really? So I'm going to talk about some of the ways that that might have some basis in truth. One thing that they've found is that the testosterone level of a person's body can actually affect the development of their facial structure. And so someone that has a high level of testosterone as a rule might have a wider face or a larger face, a rounder face. And this is often associated with temper or greater aggression or violence, just some kind of correlation out there. Mm -hmm. And so that can be correlated with personality. And sometimes it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So our way of interacting with someone based on what we think they're like, can actually affect how they interact with us. And this cycle can cause, especially over someone's lifetime, if they're always treated a certain way, they might begin to act in that way. Wow, yeah. So that's kind of an interesting possibility. And they have done studies where people are introduced to another person that they've never met before, They sit and in silence observe that person for a certain amount of time and then they rate that person on certain personality variables. And they found that certain of these personality traits are matched more often than chance with the actual ratings that the person gets from a personality profile kind of thing. So, for example, extroversion, conscientiousness, and openness are often more than by chance rated correctly um, by just observing someone without hearing them speak or interacting with them in any way. Wow. Yeah. And so there are some things that could affect this, like overall body language and posture, ways of moving your body, the clothing you choose to wear. These things all communicate something about your personality. So there is a question of what is actually being measured here. True. But they've done some studies also with computer-manipulated faces where they just slightly vary the way the eyes look and the way the mouth looks. And and they ask people to rate on a scale if someone is trustworthy or untrustworthy or dominant or submissive. And these two kinds of qualities have been shown that they have some patterns that people look for. So an extremely trustworthy face, for example, has a U-shaped mouth and eyes that form an almost surprised look. Hmm. So the closer a face gets to that dimension, the more trustworthy people will rate them as a general rule. 
An untrustworthy face has the corners of the mouth curled down and eyebrows pointing to form a V. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, and and further studies have shown that um, people consistently report trustworthy faces as being happy and untrustworthy as angry. And in the case of dominance and submissiveness, dominant faces were deemed masculine and submissive ones feminine. So there's a lot going on under these descriptors, right? So somebody might actually be judging, oh, that man's angry, therefore he's aggressive and I can't trust him, he's out to get me kind of thing, without ever really cognitively noticing these things, right? Mm -hmm. It's happening all subconsciously. Yeah, and I'd be curious to know how much of one's culture can influence that as well. Absolutely. Like media, for instance, portraying, you know, the melodramatic villain with, Mm -hmm. you know, the very sharp eyebrows and the goatee and the turned down mouth. Is that because that's how people interpret that? Or do people interpret it that way because of the media? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of variables here and a lot, lot to explore. Yeah. But, and this was kind of just my final thought and something that that I found in this article was something that occurred to me as I was thinking about this idea is that as you go through your life and you use some muscles in your face a certain way more often than others, right? It kind of creates your facial appearance, right? And so Darwin had this to say about it. Different persons bringing into frequent use different facial muscles according to their dispositions the development of these muscles being perhaps thus increased and the lines or furrows on the face due to their habitual contraction being thus rendered more conspicuous. Interesting. So, yeah, and the article said, once again, Darwin was ahead of his time in an intriguing way. We get the face we deserve. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting yeah. take, yeah. So that comes back to Sandberg's poem, right? Somebody slipped it to you and it was like a package marked no goods exchanged after being taken away. <laughs> You get what you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So again, I'll put a link to that very interesting article in the show notes. You can read more and see some more about those studies. And it's really fascinating. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tessa. Yeah. That's really great. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. We appreciate everyone tuning in. And we hope you got something out of this. As always, feel free to tell us anytime you encounter something new and interesting always wanting to know what's your new favorite word.